Oh, thank you, Mary. Thank you, thank you. That was so... It, wasn't that a blessing? Yeah. Amen. The, the wonderful thing about worship is it, uh, it's something that just begins and moves through the entire service. And uh, that was a service right there, just hearing the words of those songs. Uh, my name is David Morrow. I'm, uh, right now, I'm the associate pastor, the very part-time associate pastor at a little church in Goodlesville called Page Heights. A little background, uh, I was born in Oklahoma and grew up in Mississippi and met Amy when we were, our first day of college, we were alphabetized next to each other in uh, Psych 101, uh, Mr. Mara next to Miss Mosley, and then that was 49 years ago, and then so for 47 years, I've been married to the beautiful Amy Mara. Now, she's taking care of the kids at Page Heights, or she'd be here with me today. We have three beautiful daughters that have grown up and found and established their own homes, and we have 16 and three-quarters grandchildren now. We're looking forward to that last quarter being finished in June, so uh, it's exciting. Uh, The Lord, I I started feeling that I, I was open to whatever the Lord had for me to do as a teenager, and as Amy and I had the opportunity to get to know each other better and prayed together on our dating, in our dating life before we got married, we both felt like God could use us in some way, but I felt that civil engineering was the direction I was going to go with my life. She was going to be a librarian. Boy, that sounds like an exciting couple, doesn't it? Civil engineer, librarian. But God had other plans for us, and so through the years, we felt God's calling into ministry, and so um, went to seminary and came back and served churches in Oklahoma and Mississippi and Tennessee and um, had the opportunity to work with LifeWay for 13 years. So it's, it's been a really, really exciting time. These last nine years, I've been part of the staff at Long Hollow over in Hendersonville. I retired from full-time ministry last year and have a little farm with uh, goats and bees and a lot of hay and hay fever. So I don't know if anybody else has got this going on, but it, it is worse when you're messing with hay. It really is hay fever. But... Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to death to be here with you. We, um, I've gotten to know Matt through uh, uh, Monday morning associational pastors meeting, and, and uh, it's, it's been a real joy to get to know him in that setting. And so let me just share with you that not only are you as a congregation praying and family praying for Matt and his quick recovery, but uh, the association, those pastors have a newsletter that goes out, and so the pastors know, and the pastors are praying, and my church is praying, and my Tuesday night men's group, we're praying that, uh, for just for rapid heal, uh, quick heal, that he'll, I think next week, probably be back here filling the pulpit. So God is good. Um, I, I, he told me when he, he asked me to to supply for him this morning, that typically y'all just take a passage and go straight through the passage. I love that exegetical type of preaching and, and studying God's Word. And he told me that y'all have been going through the book of Titus and maybe had finished it. I'm not real sure. And I, it's, it's hard just to drop in on a single Sunday and do that. So I'm just going to put a little parenthesis right here, apologize to Matt when he uh, gets back and say, no, we're not going to do exactly that. Today we're going to do a story, a Bible story. Now, I know that you, how many of you guys grew up in church as kids? Let me see your hands. As kids, you were in Sunday school and church, maybe RAs, GAs, mission friends, if you were in Baptist church. 
all those good things, and you heard all of those great stories, the thing that amazes me now that I've become an adult is that many, many of our church members remember those stories from a childhood, but they've never learned to make adult application to them. And so I think if I ever wrote a book, I might write the book, The Bible Story You Never Learned. Because I think there's so many of those Bible stories. They're great Bible stories for kids, but the meaning for a kid and the meaning for us as adults is incredibly different. Because I know that you, like me, have taken God's Word and you've read through a passage and it has some meaning for you today. And then next week, next month, next year, you read that same passage over again and it has fresh meaning. It's a living word. It has fresh meaning because your life has changed. It's an amazing thing. Our, our passage today is going to come from an Old Testament. And thank you, Mary, so much for setting this up so well because you, you pulled a passage out of Habakkuk. Now, we're not preaching from Habakkuk, but the story of Habakkuk and the challenges that he faced and the way that God saw him and those people through that, it's the reality for the story that we're going to be looking at today together. Most everyone knows the story of Job, even the unchurched. You've heard people that never have darkened the door of a church say, oh, he's got the patience of Job. They may not have any idea what that really means, but they use that terminology. Job is a familiar story. And as a child, I'm sure you remember the story of how God, well, let's, let's just give you a thumbnail of the story of Job. It's the oldest book. It's not the first book in the Bible, but it's likely, uh, authorities tell us, that it's likely the first book that was written. And it doesn't start at the beginning. It just starts with a man's life, and it tells us his story. It's probably the most autobiographical single book in the Bible. And it starts off with God in heaven, and he's having a conversation, and he's explaining this man that is a devout follower of God. And Satan says, I can tempt him. And God says, he loves me. And Satan says, I can make him not love you. And God, in in some mysterious way, gives Satan permission. Now, things that come to our lives, I I, I, I realize that when we look at the book of Job, there's always the temptation to say that God's the, the bad guy in this story. No, God's never the bad guy in our lives, in our story, in our churches. But God does have a presence, and God allows things. Uh, Frequently when I'm talking, sometimes I'm counseling with someone that's gone through uh, an accident. I'm in the hospital and I'm talking to them, or perhaps they've lost a loved one and we're preparing for the funeral service. And the conversation goes like this. Well, why did God let this happen? Well, God set things in motion at creation. Man chose to disobey God at creation. We call that the fall. And from that time on, the things that happen on this earth follow God's original plan broken by man. Therefore, there's sickness, there's disease, there's death, there's sorrow. Now, there are times that we and our prayers before God, and He intervenes in miraculous ways. We see that all through the Bible. And I believe that we're seeing that right now in this church in your pastor's life. But that's a God thing to intervene. And we are not obligated. He is not obligated to us to intervene any time that these challenges come in our lives. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to recognize 
that God pulled back his intervention and did not intervene in the challenges that faced Job. See, the thing that each one of us faces good times and we face bad times. If you're not in the middle of a bad time right now, just wait. It's coming. And all of you have lived enough life that you recognize the reality of it. Now, I want us to recognize this morning Job's formula for learning from God in both the good times and the bad. Yeah, we can learn from God in both the good times. It's easier to learn then, but we also learn from God during the bad times. And I think that sometimes God has a more direct path to our heart during the bad times. We seem to be a little bit more attentive and attuned to God during the bad times. Have you found that to be true in your life? I know I have. This is a lesson that for thousands of years and for thousands of years to come, we still need to learn and apply in our lives. Even though this was Job and it was in the Old Testament and it was a very, very long time ago, and we don't really understand some of the things that God allowed to happen in his life, the realities and the truths that we're going to learn this morning from these couple of verses that we're going to look at are are truths that we can apply today in our lives. Believers, sometimes people think that I'm a follower of Christ and so... I should be immune. In fact, there are some preachers that kind of, on, on TV generally, that have that type of mentality and the, theology that says, you know what, if you're a follower of God, if you pray, then nothing bad's ever going to happen to you, and you're going to have all the money you ever need, and blessings will just flow into you. Well, there's a reality to God blesses us, but it's not just God doesn't choose to act that way in my life. God chooses to bless me, but he just doesn't. Uh, make me immune to the challenges of life. Whether the challenge is that of health or as faced by Pastor Matt now and the family, or whether it's challenges of finances or emotional or uh, somebody, people in your life, a family member or somebody that you work with, whatever those challenges are, any of that or any of a hundred other ways that we are challenged God has a plan for us. See, if we look back over history, we can see that every great movement of God, every great revival, renewal, returning to God in our nation or in nations before the United States was ever established, it was preceded by an awareness of the holiness of God. And I think that in many of our churches, we've come to the point that God's our just best buddy. And um, sometimes while there is a closeness and a love and appreciation that we have for our Father God, yet there's a, an awe, uh, a reality. All through the Bible, any time, you remember when Moses was going up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, God said, you cannot see me. And he put his hand over. He put Moses in the cleft of the rock, in, in the crack in the rock, put his hand over it so that he wouldn't be exposed to the glory of God. When Moses came down from the mountain, they had to put a veil over his face because he was so filled with the glory of God. God, God is holy. The word holy means set apart. He is not like man. He is not like us. But yet we are created in God's image. Yet we are fallen. So any great awakening has been preceded by an awareness of the holiness of God and by an awareness of the sinfulness of man. There are others that 
err, sometimes those err on the side of being trying to be, well, God's the good old man upstairs. That just goes all over me. God is not an old man, even though he may be depicted with a white hairy beard floating on a cloud. That is not God. God is, God is the creator of the universe. No hairy bearded old man on a cloud can do that. That doesn't happen. God is a being that we really cannot understand, and he has revealed himself to us through his word. And through his word is how we know God. And now, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we'll speak a little bit more about that in just a moment, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity of knowing God in a, in a more personal way than even Job could. Every revival or great awakening was preceded by an awareness of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. When the church, Journey Church, Page Heights Church, Long Hollow Church, the church universal, understands who we serve and our unworthiness before Him due to our sin, many of the issues that occupy our attention and contribute to the stagnation of many of, I think, of America's churches. When I stand back from it and see the great need that our nation has for following Christ and the, the, the millions of people that have not yet trusted Jesus and the calling before us to reach out to those people and see the stagnation of our churches, it hurts. It bothers me, and it should bother each of us that are members of the body of Christ. Revitalization comes first to the people and then to the church and then to the nation. And so each of us carries a bit of the necessity for making a difference in our nation as we begin to see the revitalization with our, in our own lives. Richard Lovelace, in his book, Dynamic, The Dynamics of a Spiritual Life, let me quote that. He says, There are two preconditions for continued renewal in the life of the believer, an awareness of the holiness of God and the, an awareness of the sinfulness of man. Job was a man who saw both these important aspects of renewal, and he came to know God and to know himself. So, let's look at the passage now. Job chapter 42, the last chapter of the book of Job. You know how the story goes. He, God, Satan uh, literally attacks Job with all his force, and he loses everything, family, fortune, land. He loses everything. But at the very end, he comes to the lesson that we're about to read in the last chapter. Verses 42, verses 5 through 6. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. This verse at the end of Job tells us three things that Job learned about knowing God and about knowing ourselves. Let's examine those. Number one, to know God is more than just knowing about God. Knowing God is more than knowing just about God. There's no nation in this world, and there has never been, I don't believe, a nation in this world outside of Israel maybe centuries ago that knew more about God than the United States of, of America. Job says, my ears have heard you. Many people could say that here in America and in our churches. They sit in the, in the seats in the pews and they say they know a little bit about the Bible. They know a little bit about the stories of the Bible, about the names in the Bible. And Job's words refer to that kind of religion that he had before his ordeal began. It was simple. He was a simple, moral, good, quiet, and comfortable man. 
You know, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, take a trip to Alaska, and so I did all the research that I could. I wanted to find out everything that I, I could possibly know about what that was like, and so I got out maps, and I spread them out, and I looked where we were going, and I did research about the climate and what it's like in the end of August and the kind of fish that I was going to be fishing for and all that. But all that research did not prepare me to the, for the experience of seeing that icy, cold, green-blue water from the glaciers running down the Kenai River. And wading out into that river and seeing a black bear on this side while I'm fishing here on this side, and he's eating a salmon, and I'm trying to catch a salmon. It didn't prepare me for that, for the, the beauty of the mountains with the snow still on top of the mountains in the, the middle of August. No, there's, there's just something that doesn't happen from research and study. And as significant as the Bible is for our lives, because it, it inspires us, it guides us, it's our guidebook for life, Without experiencing God, this is just another book. It's a book of stories that God reveals himself to us. But if we don't open ourselves up to experience God himself, then it has less value to us. Such a knowledge, knowing about God produces facts. There there was a story, some of you guys might have seen the Hallmark movie. My wife and I, that's, that's that's our... steady diet of TV now. We watch HGTV for a little while, and then we watch Hallmark for a little while. Well, one of these... Ha- what? Does anybody else recognize that? Tom? Yes? The, every once in a while, we get to watch a football game, or some basketball during this season. In this particular Hallmark movie, it strikes a chord because this gentleman had written a best-selling book about Fiji, and it was a work of fiction, and the, the publisher said, you know what, we need a follow-up book on this. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll do it. The money was right. So he starts writing the book, and he realizes he's at, a, he's at a dead end. He doesn't know because he never went to Fiji. All he did was just research it. And so he booked a flight, he flew to Fiji, and he suddenly he realized everything he'd written in that first book was just kind of fluff. And now his second book became reality because of his experience in the nation, in the country, on the island of Fiji. Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says this, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing any good thing. Think about what that says. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Think about these words. I'm going to read them one more time. They claim to know God, But by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient, unfit for doing any any good thing. So here's the first hard question of the message. I've got two or three of them, but here's the first one. What do your actions say about your relationship with God? Each of us tell the stories we walk through our lives each day, whether at work or at home, whether just in the marketplace going to buy gas or buy groceries, our actions speak to, those, to the world around us. And so what do your actions say to that world around us? Titus chapter 1 verse 16 says that whether we claim to know about God, our actions really proclaim whether we do or not. Now, knowing God prompts 
Knowing about God produces facts, but knowing God prompts faith. John Calvin, the theologian from so many years ago, says, Faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. I know it's difficult for many of us in the 21st century to carry these concepts of what these people are like in the Bible. And even Jesus Christ, as real as these pages make the life of Christ jump out, it's not like I can reach out and hug Jesus like I do my grandchildren. But John Calvin has it because it's in the heart. He says, faith is not a distant view, but it's a warm embrace of Christ. We've been going, at at Page Heights, we've been going through a study on Wednesday nights of experiencing God. That's the title of the study. You may have studied it or read through it on your own. And we're realizing that far too long, many of our believers have settled for an outside view of God. By that, I mean that we are on the outside of the relationship with God, knowing about Him, even hearing, even studying about Him, but not really experiencing Him. And that's what Job was like. Job was on the outside looking in, knowing God, but not really experiencing God. So we have been discovering that there are steps that believers can take to actually experience God. And Job is part of that experience. A church must do more than just dispense facts about God. Knowing God more than knowing about God promotes promotes a walk of faith. It's not easy to live this life. Like we said in the very beginning, there are challenges that come to each of us. And sometimes it's our own challenges. It's uh, maybe attitudes that have built up, resentments that we carry, bitterness that we have. And those types of internal things build up and they sometimes cause us to lose our witness. A church must do more than just dispense facts about God. Years ago, I was involved in a car accident. The, they took us to the emergency room, and I was bleeding. And the doctors came into the room, and they gave me a large collection of medical books and began talking about how it's possible for my body to be repaired. No, that's ridiculous. Of course they didn't. They immediately began to analyze what the injury was. And I trusted those medical professionals to identify my injuries and begin to repair my broken body. It's more than knowing about a doc, being a doctor, but it's about trusting him with our lives. I know many of you have faced surgeries or maybe been in an accident like that, and you literally put your life in the hands of that surgeon, that doctor, that medical personnel to take care of you. That same kind of trust, even more so, is the kind of trust that we need to follow in our life with God. Far too often, we just kind of roll along in our lives, and we we face the next day, and we go to work, we do the thing that we need to do, and we come home, and we do the thing that we need to do, and we do the shopping, and then we go to bed, and then we get up the next day and do the same thing all over again, and we fail to include God as a part of that interaction every day. That's the reason that reading God's Word and praying as a part of each day builds into us that experience with God. We'll discover through that that God speaks to us and speaks through us to the community around us. A church must do more than just dispense facts about God. As a kid, like many of you, I attended Sunday school, and I learned a lot of Bible facts. In fact, probably all of us could sing some of those children's Bible songs 
maybe the, the books of the Bible. Or, But those are just facts. It wasn't until I became an older child, a teenager, that I was able to translate those Bible facts into experience by faith. And that's exactly what each of us as growing adults, teenagers, and even children, we need to put into practice that experience with God. My response to the facts was different. I used Sunday school like a, a class at school. I was dutif- where I dutifully knew the facts, but yet I didn't know the one, the Jesus, the Christ. You know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and I had a steady diet of cowboys. Those uh, black and white TV shows, I loved those. And I, I, I had heroes of those cowboys. The greatest of those heroes was Roy Rogers and his Wonder Horse Trigger. And I, I knew everything about him and how he handled the bad guys and how that horse was so smart and he could tell Trigger and Trigger would take care of things that even I'm not sure his good buddy Tonto could take care of. But Trigger was there for him. Tonto was there for him. I was thrilled one day to be, as a, as a young adult, to be in the same room with Roy Rogers. My heart beat fast. I couldn't believe it. My childhood hero was there in the same room with him. And I walked up and I took his hand and I shook his hand. I shook hands with Roy Rogers. And he was willing to sign a picture and he signed it. Regards, David, Roy Rogers and Trigger. (laughs) I loved it. He signed it, Roy Rogers and Trigger. That was one of the most special moments in my life because I had known about Roy Rogers. Now I had met Roy Rogers. But see, the truth is, I still didn't really know Roy Rogers. I didn't know about his wife and his kids. I didn't know what he really liked to do. Does he really like to ride horses that much? Yes, he does. But uh, he... The, the, the reality is we can know about God like I knew about Roy Rogers. And some of us have even met God like I met Roy Rogers. We shook hands, so to speak. And so we've had that initial connection with God. Many of you have chosen to follow God as Savior, but yet you've reserved some of yourself. You've really never fully engaged and released yourself to God and let God release himself to you. So this is where Job finds himself. Truly knowing God prompts a relationship that leads to a walk of faith, and it must be a journey of faith. I love the name of your church. You've chosen to name your church Journey Church because that's what life is. It is following God on this journey. Now, some people choose to take this journey without following God. Okay, number two, to know God is to be in the presence of God. Job says here, but now my eyes have seen you. What a wonderful moment. What a wonderful revelation from Job to recognize that, ah, now I understand God. It's not that he physically saw God. It's a poetic way. This, this whole book is written in a poetic language. And he says, now I understand. So there's an A and B of being in God's presence. A, learn from your loss. Yes, learn from your loss. See, Job lost everything. And we, along life's way, lose something. We lose relationships. We lose loved ones. We lose health. We lose finances. Whatever it is that our challenge of the day might be, Job lost everything that he had. Although he did not understand it at the moment, Job was learning to, hit, to see himself as he really was. And that's what God wants to teach us 
what God can teach us through our losses in life. Have you ever known anybody that had a little bit maybe inflated view of themselves? Maybe a little proud of his accomplishments or possessions? Time's coming that that will change for that person too. The story of Job is a heart-wrenching story of loss, self-discovery, and the recognition of an adjusted priority of life. And that could be our stories as well. Have you ever come to that point that you recognize there needs to be an adjustment in your life? So, A, to know God is to be in the presence of God, learn from your loss. And B, to know God is to be in the presence of God, learn who's the boss. One of the hardest lessons to learn is who's in charge. Like I said, I got married 47 years ago, so then I knew. She's not here, so I can say that. If any of you tell her I said that, I'll deny it. No, we're not talking about that kind of boss. We're not talking about the kind of boss that when we go to work, we have to salute to and sign in with. We're talking about the Lord God. You see, far too often we use the word Lord without really understanding what Lord means. In the Bible, when we talk about accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord, we understand the Savior part. He's saving us. That's an obvious word. He's saving us from the punishment that we deserve. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We all deserve to be punished, and Jesus has taken that punishment for us. And so when Jesus has taken that punishment for us, we just have to accept. We have to surrender ourselves to him. But Lord, Savior and Lord, what does that mean? It's just a word. Lord in the Old Testament and New Testament, both connotations of it means boss, master, slave-owner type relationship. So Jesus is not only my Savior, but he's my boss my master. I have surrendered ownership of this body, this life, this direction to the, a new boss, a new master. And so I did that one time when I was 12. Do I need to do it again? Do you need to do it again? And the answer is yes. The Bible says that that's a daily thing. One of the hardest lessons is to learn who's in charge. Maybe not to know who's in charge, but to surrender to who's in charge. Once Job was stripped bare, he came to realize that his life was not his own. It was not his decision about what's next. He came to realize the omnipotence of God and the impotence of man, mankind. God is all-powerful, and man is... As powerful as we think we might muster up, frankly, have no control beyond the limited things that we have on our day-to-day lives. So to know God is to be in the presence of God. Now number three is to know God is to know ourselves. This may be where the hardest part of this message comes, and it was the hardest thing for Job to come to the realization. In the presence and comparison to God's holiness, we look like sin. Uh, I think it's in Isaiah, there's the passage that says that our righteousness is his filthy rags. And I think of, you know, this is my car wash rag. No, this is worse than that. This is the rag that I use to wash the wheels off with. Yeah, it's terrible. And my righteousness is like that. But no, it's much worse than that. In that context, when it says my righteousness, the best thing that I can do in comparison with God is like a filthy rag. These are the rags that the lepers used to wrap the sores with. I know it's detestable, it's gross, but that's exactly what my best life is like. I have to surrender myself in order to have 
a sinless life, a life of following God. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says this, just one verse. You don't have to turn to it. And he came to them saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, that denying self and then that taking up the cross is our orders. It's you and me as followers of Christ, we have to deny ourselves. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that I have things that I want to do. What I need to do is check in with God and see if that's what he wants me to do. Do you do that every day? That's what we should be doing each and every day, each and every step of our life. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, one more verse that gives another illustration of exactly that. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Job says, I repent in dust and ashes. You know, that is the recognition of how bad things were for him. Sackcloth and ashes is the typical mourning. It's, it's what the Hebrew, ancient Hebrews did as a sign of mourning in the loss of a loved one. Job was in sackcloth and ashes in his own loss. No longer did he demand an answer from God, giving his new understanding of the things he was perfectly content to let God take his next steps. You see, as Job let God be God in his life, we, each of us, needs to let God be God in our lives. It's an act of complete submission to God that comes when we surrender ourselves and our church completely to him. You see, it's funny. Sometimes I've seen, I've I've been in churches where many of the people have surrendered their own personal lives, but they maintain ownership about the church. And they think, I know what's best. I know what we need to do without ever checking in with God. God has a say in our lives. God has a say in our churches. If we're to see revival in our churches and our nation, we must lose our pride and our selfish ambition, our sense of self-sufficiency, and we can, you know, there's a bootstrap mentality. We can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps here in America, which has strength and merit, but yet in our spiritual lives, it's certainly not. We must trust God. We must release ourselves from that obligation of carrying ourselves. Any agenda outside of that of bringing glory to God is not God's agenda. Let me close with this verse. Another New Testament verse found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Paul says, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's each of us. We need to recognize that I no longer live in this body. You may call me David, but really I'm Jesus. That's the way that I should approach life. Each person that I meet, they're meeting a representative of Jesus Christ. This is the key to the consistency in our service to God. This is the solution to strife and enmity. It means that my devotion is to the will of God. It means that renewal in my spirit and in our churches is dependent upon each of us releasing ourselves to the leadership of God. So let me, I told you I was going to ask you a few more hard questions. Let me ask you two or three more hard questions now that we've seen Job facing his hard questions. And you you know how the story ends after Job's recognition that He is not God, and God is God. 
He knew about God, and then he knew God. He faced these questions. Do you think it's possible to become so familiar with God that we lose our sense of His holiness? Have you ever been that point that you just think, well, I'm familiar with God and He's familiar with me, and you lose that sense of awe that He created the universe. He loves me. He led His Son. He had a plan for my life centuries before I was born. I am now trying to follow His, his plan. Here's another question. Do you think that you might be living a life of knowing about God without knowing God? Are there people in your family that you need to talk to? Are there people in your family that know about God but have never known God, never experienced God? One more question. Was there ever a time in your life that you became aware of your own sinfulness? You see, Job recognized that in his sin, he was worthless. He was sackcloth and ashes. He was in mourning because he recognized, it was, it was because he recognized his own spiritual unfitness before a, a holy God. Each of, each of us needs to come to the point that we realize that before God, our righteousness is as fil- filthy rags. We cannot do anything really good in comparison with what God can do with us and through us. Is there any sin that's been allowed to take root in your own life? Is that sin preventing you from really knowing God and serving God and sharing God with family and friends and co-workers? Have you fully repented of your sin? One last question. What will it look like when you stand before the holy and perfect God. How will you feel in that end time when you stand in the glories of heaven before God? Sometimes we just need to think about that. For those that are lost, that have never surrendered, never chosen to surrender their life to Christ, it's going to be a very grim day. They have nothing but punishment suffering ahead. For those of us that have chosen to follow God, that have surrendered our lives, the question will be, how much surrender? Have you just surrendered a part of your life, a part of your heart? Have you just surrendered your Sunday? Or have you surrendered your whole life, your whole week, your whole family, your whole, your whole? I'd like to ask you as we uh, close to leave this place envisioning that conversation between you and that holy God. Brother Tom, let's close with prayer. Can we stand together? Father, we have grown due to our worship, maybe to know you, but not really understand you, to know about you, but not really experience you. So, Father, it's my prayer that I can experience you each day, that I can trust you each day, my prayer for these that have gathered here in this place is that they will recognize that you're a God that desires that daily relationship, that daily encounter, that daily surrender, that daily dying to Christ, to dying to self and living for Christ, that daily taking up that cross and following you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.